Testing. Am I good? Hey, good morning. So good to see you, and I so appreciate Pastor Rodney allowing me to preach on this subject. He asked me a couple months ago to share on 1 John 5, so I have no excuse for not being prepared. So thank you so much. As you all probably remember, I came here from Atlanta, Georgia. I lived in Atlanta for 25 years and uh, had to endure 25 seasons of watching the Atlanta Braves lose every year. (laughs) But miracles happen. (laughs) See some Braves fans out there? So, man, what a year. Improbable. That's just awesome. So we can smile for the next year because it might be 26 more years before we win another one. So So open your Bibles today to 1 John chapter 5. And I want to read verses 1 through 12. And I know you just sat down, but I would ask that you stand in honor of reading God's word. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whosoever believes in the son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You may be seated. Now, why is John writing these believers? Because they're facing an early form of Gnostic heresy, and he is instructing them to turn away from this false dualistic teaching, and instead to come into a fuller understanding of who God is. God is light and love. And in in this way, they will have true fellowship with God and with one another. And since they were believers, they were in danger of falling prey to unhealthy teachings about God, which, let me stop and say, we all can be in that danger zone when we hear things that are unbiblical. But in writing to them, John encourages these believers to rely on upon their new birth in God for teaching, 
for instructing in righteousness, for abiding in faithfulness and remembering that Jesus is the Christ, that by him they have life in his name. So John the Apostle jumps right in and lets us know the title of my message is entitled Eternal Life is Guaranteed. So let's go through this, these verses and find out what is, what is John saying? Well, the first thing that he asks this question, how is one born of God? In John chapter 5 verse 1, well, first of all, a person must believe that Jesus is the Christ. You see, in many New Age sort of thinking, people believe that Jesus had what's called a Christ spirit, as Confucius or Muhammad or Buddha or certain moderns have. But we who are believers, we would never say Jesus has the Christ. We would say Jesus is the Christ. And we continue to say that everyone who loves the Father has been born of him. In fact, John says it'll be so obvious that if we love the Son, we will also love the Father. And we will do something. We will keep his commandments. And then he moves to 1 John 5, 2, and he says, how do you love God? It's very clear, it's very evident that if we love God, we are going to obey his commandments. You see, a Christian who says, He loves God but doesn't obey his commandments is of very little use to the body of Christ. I I liken it to the 12th guy on the basketball team. He's got a uniform. He practices with with the team, but he doesn't see much action. That's, That's more like a Christian who's not very much used in the body of Christ. And some, of, some authors believe that John was also thinking of 1 John 5, 2. He also was thinking of 1 John 1, 6 when he is describing this person who says he loves God, but he doesn't obey his commandment. Listen to what 1 John 1, 6 says. If we say that we have fellowship with him, while we're walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So how, how do we lie? Well, it's very simple. We lie when our lips don't match up with our life. And let's remember this. I learned this many years ago. We are never more like the devil than when we lie. 1 John 5, 3 goes on to say, If we love, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. See now, Let me talk to the teenagers for a second. You see, when you are a teenager, you're a young adult, what you're thinking about God and the Bible is that the Bible and God and church is nothing but a killjoy. God doesn't want me to have any fun. In fact, this Bible gets me in more trouble than than it's worth. I'm always disobeying it. I'm not always doing what's right. And so this is what I was thinking when I was a teenager. God just doesn't want me to have any fun because all I remember was rules and regulations and it was more of a book of do's and don'ts. But see, what I need to share with you as a a young person is this. God knows something that you don't know. This is what it is. 
there's a law in place. And we don't like laws. I don't, I don't like certain laws, especially driving in Atlanta when I was living there for 25 years. I, nobody drove the speed limit. It said 55. No one drove 55. It said 85 north for a reason. And, and that's, how you, that's how you had to stay alive. I broke that law daily. But God knows something that you don't know. And here it is. It's a law. And I didn't like it. And I faced the consequences because I didn't like it. And here it is. You reap what you sow. See? I've heard too many parents and too many people in, 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 in my circle that said, hey, we just got to let our young people sow their wild oats. They, they only have this life for a season. But see, I have sat down with too many young adults in their late 20s and 30s, and here they are confessing their sins to me of their youth. See, here's the problem. God knows that sowing wild oats reap a harvest of devastating consequences. What you do does matter. Don't let anybody fool you. See, God knows something that we don't know, and that is sin is a weight. And I've had too many young adults come into my office and share with me, and and sometimes it, it just amazes me how they find me or how they found me. Or I remember I had only been here at Lawndale probably six months and, and sitting in front of me as a young man, I don't even know how he got there. He was from Winston-Salem, Kernersville area. But I'll never forget this young man as he's sitting there sharing with me about his life. And, and one of the first things that I try to share after he shared was I have to establish whether he knows Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. So I have to go back to that point in his life. And I said to him, has there ever been a time and a place where you invited Jesus Christ to step out of heaven and step into your life and he is real to you? And he said, yes. I said, okay. I said, then when was the last time you prayed? Now, this, this is hard for me to believe, but this is what he said. He said, it's been about nine years. And I did like what you just did. Nine years? You haven't talked to God in nine years? Well, I've been busy. I've been chasing the dream. Now, listen, he, he had, oh, listen, this guy, man, he had the toys. He had the house, the, the boat, the... Uh, ATVs, man, he had it all. He had all the toys, but he was miserable. And I said, you know what you're describing to me, I've heard many times. So I said, can, let me see if I can illustrate it. I said, you, you're, how you're feeling is you're out in the, you're feeling like you're out in the lake. And on your back is 100 pounds. And that weight is weighing you down. And you're trying to tread water and you're getting tired, and you have just enough strength to, to, to come to the, get, get to the top and to take a breath, and then that weight pulls you back down. And you're doing this over and over and over again. I'll never forget that young man looked at me, and he said, how did you know? 
I said, because we've all been there. Sin is a weight. And David knew that sin is a weight. And God is not telling you to, how to ruin your life. He's telling you how to, how to have the best life. David said in Psalms 32, 4, listen to what he says. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. See, David knew something. He knew that without confessing his sin and getting that sin off of him, that God's hand was heavy on him. Do you feel a weight today in your life? That weight is a reminder that sin carries a weight. Psalms 28, 13, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Notice what it says in Psalm 66, 18. If I have cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So as this young man is sitting in front of me, I took him over to 1 John chapter 1, and I said, this is what God's word says. And I just took out a piece of paper and I just started writing down his sins that he just told me. And I thought he was going to do this in my office. I thought he was going to get down in, in my office and start praying. But this is what he said. He said, Pastor Barry, can I have that piece of paper? I, I, okay. I, it's just a post-it note. He said, well, I want to take it. And use it as a guide tonight when I talk to God. Well, guys, I want to tell you a beautiful story. Next morning, about 8 o'clock, he calls me. And he's looking for a Bible. Hey, did you know that Target doesn't sell Bibles anymore? <laughs> I didn't know that. but hey. Well, I told him a couple other places to try. But as soon as I began talking to this young man... I knew he was different. And we started talking about what he did that night. And he said, Pastor Barry, I want you to know that last night I estimate that I've probably spent three hours on my knees talking to God. And what I was doing was I was coming clean. Sin is a weight and young people, young adults, please hear what I'm about to say. You don't need to see that the Bible is a weight to be carried. What you need to see the Bible is a load to be lifted. You can get free. You see, the scripture says if we love God, we will keep his commandments. Genesis 29, 18, you read the story of Jacob who loved Rachel. He loved her so much that he worked seven years for Laban and the Bible says that he loved her so much that it seemed just like a few days. So obeying God does not seem like a burden when we really love him. It's like my, my love for my wife. In fact, my wife has said on more than one occasion, she says, you tell me all the time that you would die for me, but you never do. Did I mention a couple of times she said that to me? <laughs> First John 5, 4. So how do we overcome the world? 
For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. The word overcomes in this passage is the Greek word nikos. It means to conquer. It was used to betray athletes who had gained the mastery of competition and ultimately reign as champions over the games. The word nikos tells us that when we get started in the walk of faith, we instantly enroll into real competition. I mean, it puts you right into the center of the ring where the contest begins immediately. Which, by the way, is a problem for many Christians who have never been taught about the Christian life. Last Sunday, Pastor Rodney mentioned Paul Brownback, who wrote a book called How to Succeed as the CEO of Your Life, and he'll be teaching a class upcoming in January. And, and Paul, if you're here today, I'll take that $20 for highlighting your book and your class. But I, I love what Paul, as he met with us as a staff, he said this. He said, I have learned the secret of the Christian life. Now, when an older, wiser man shares about his faith and about the things that he's learned, I don't know about you, but I, I lean in because I want to hear what he has to say. And this is what he said. I've learned the secret to the Christian life. And here it is. There is no secret. So what we, what we find out about the Christian life is that you cannot get away from what's called a disciplined Christian life. You learn that you have to, as a Christian, struggle with temptation. You will learn, as a Christian, that you have to learn how to fight or you will be defeated. You will have to learn that there is no such thing in the world as what we call light armor to bear. You see, Lawndale's goal is to create a culture of disciple making. We want to disciple people to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, but we want you also to know how to fight and how to defend the faith. Now, let me tell you how you're going to do that. You've got to, first of all, get discipled. You need to get into a small group. You need to get into some accountability, which is something no one wants. And you're going to have to get into the word of the living God. See, I love basketball growing up. I tell this often in our new members class, that if my coach would have come to me as I was growing up in in high school and playing basketball, if he'd have said, Barry, you know, you're, you're a pretty decent player, but let me tell you what I want you to do. I want you to play defense. Okay, coach, I, I'll, I'll do that for you. Uh, what does that mean about offense? Well, no, I don't, I don't want you to shoot. <laughs> do what? The best part of basketball is not just defense, but what? I, when you score, isn't it cool to see that ball go through that basket? I would have quit basketball if my coach said, Barry, just want you to play defense. Don't want you to play offense. Why am I running up and down this court? Why am I knocking myself out to get the ball? 
Why am I blocking guys out? Why am I in here getting, getting down and dirty here? Because th- to pass the ball to my other teammates and they get the score. Yeah, that's what I want you to do. I ain't doing it. The best part is when we score. And isn't that what Jesus wants us to do in the Christian life? Doesn't he want us to win? Well, friends, the only way you're going to win in the Christian life is if you take the sword of the Spirit. Isn't that interesting what he said? Take the sword to do what with it? To kill the enemy. To cut its head off. To die. To teach people the sacrificed life. This is what you've got to get strong in. You can't just put on the armor and look good. You're like the 12th guy on the basketball team. You look good. But you don't see much action. You see, to walk by faith doesn't mean you have no problems. I'm not telling you this morning, like most people will tell you that life is easy as a Christian. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not, not going to tell you that you, you're going to have no problems. In fact, what I have learned is the opposite happens. You will have some problems. That's what I've learned. You say, well, Barry, why, why is that? Because you're fighting sin, and sin is destructive. But, but as the Word often does, it has good news. 1 John 5, 5, we overcome, who do we overcome? We overcome the world when we believe. We overcome when we believe that Jesus is enough. I think most people were were like me. And I had this mentality for many years that I believed that it was 90% God and 10% Barry. In other words, I believed that I had something to do with my salvation. I don't know if it was a, uh, I had a mentality to work harder. I didn't know if I was to be gooder. I don't know if that's a word or not, but we'll go with it today. <laughs> or how I was acting. I, I thought, you know, I, I had to act like I was a Christian. I had this work mentality. In other words, I thought I had to help God out. Let me see if I can illustrate this point. So I'm in my D group every Tuesday, meeting with my guys, and I started sharing with my guys for, I mean, I probably talked about this for six months. I talked about wanting a brand new truck, and this truck cost $50,000. I couldn't pull the trigger because I didn't have any money, so that, <laughs> that, that made it easy, but, but there's one guy in, in my D group that comes in on a certain day and he says, Pastor Barry, can you step out in the parking lot for a second? Yeah, I'll step out there with you. And uh, we step outside and there in front of me is the brand new $50,000 truck that I've been talking about. 
And, and I'm looking at this truck, and I can't believe my eyes. And I'll just use Jeff. He's one of my guys. He won the lottery, so he's one of my guys. I'll say, Jeff, Jeff looks at me, and he says, Pastor Barry, I am gifting you this, this brand new truck. Here's the keys, and here's the title. They're yours. And I can't believe it. I take the keys, I take the title, and I, I'm just walking around the truck looking at it. Man, I got to get in it. I got to crank it up. I got to play with all the technology. And I just can't believe, oh my God, this is, nobody's ever done this for me. This is, this is awesome. But then I say to Jeff, Jeff, this is, this is too much. Nobody's ever gifted me with, with a truck. I mean, I know it was just Pastor Appreciation Month, and I appreciated the thought, but <laughs> not a truck. I, I said, Jeff, let, let, me, let me make a contribution. No, Pastor Barry, I, I, this is a gift. This is yours. I, I don't need a con- So I go back and forth, and being his pastor, I weigh him down. And finally, he says to me, all right, Pastor Barry, if you, you want to make a contribution, that'll be fine. Well, I, I guess he thought I was going to go to the bank, get some money out. But no, I, I'm Johnny on the spot. I pull out my wallet. And I look. And I look. And I find a $20 bill. And I look at Jeff and I said, Jeff, here you go. (laughs) And Jeff takes the $20, doesn't even look at it, puts it in his pocket. We go back in, we have our discipleship. Now let's review. Who paid the dealership for the truck? Who had the keys and the title? Who sacrificed the most? Who gave the most? How much did Jeff give for that truck? No. (laughs) Listen, listen. He didn't give $4,980. You wonder why I failed math in high school. (laughs) But now watch this. Jeff didn't recognize my contribution. Why? Because it was already paid for. Not part of it. 100%. And the same thing goes for our relationship with Jesus Christ He has paid 100% of my sin to set me free. God doesn't need my help. God doesn't recognize my contribution, which was small or whether it was big. I need to trust him completely because that is what is freeing. I am not going to get to heaven on my 10%. Friends, I will get to heaven by the grace and the mercy of God. And that, my friend, is freeing. 
Because some of you are still in that work mentality. That I've got to do something to get God to like me because I know God doesn't like me. Friends, God doesn't like you. He loves you, period. And that is freeing. It was for me. 1 John 5, 4 says, and this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Can I remind you this morning that faith is not in a place, it's in a person. We have this mentality that, man, we got to go to church. All you got to do is go to church. I've heard that my whole life. That is not the right answer. Going to church is not going to make you a Christian. See, having faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, believing that he died on the cross and rose again, and you have decided to follow him and live the sacrifice life, that is, that is faith. Going to church is not, is not faith. But I need to add a side note. If you love God, you will love the church. I've heard statements made by people, and, and people agree with them. And I, I'm going, uh, you, no, I'm sorry, that's not right. They say, well, I love God, I just don't like the church. And people will chime in and, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Listen, I can understand you saying I love God and I don't like a church. But friend, if you are a Christian and you love God, you will love the church. And it's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not our idea. As you read the Bible, you find God is connecting people to the church, just like John connected people to the church. Paul connected people to the church. The church is where God does his greatest work. But not only in the church, but it's also in our community. See, it's like somebody who says, hey, I'm going to join the Navy, but I'm not getting in any water. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. If you love God, you will love the church. And you'll love the church and you'll support the church and you'll be in church. If you want the church to go forward, listen, go to church. It's simple. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Listen to this, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It is a powerful verse for us today. And they, who are they? Christians. They have conquered him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. I have to admit, I worry about Christians in America. Because we want a fast food Christianity. In Atlanta, everything was about just one hour. One hour of church. That's all the time I can give. I got too many things I want to do. We think an hour on church on Sunday, that is what faith is about. That is not, that's not faith and that's not discipleship. See, when I compare Christians in America who want a fast food gospel and a fast food, a food Christianity, I, I look at the Christians in communist China. Who 
if they are caught worshiping God, they will spend three years in prison. And they will love it. You know why? They love Jesus. And this is a small price to pay for my love for Jesus. Going to prison is a blessing. And I, I don't know about you, but if I was in a prison, I wouldn't think it's a blessing. But they do. Why? Because they love Jesus and they understand what is the price to follow him. First John 5, 6 through 8, it tells us, who is this who came by water and blood? Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. It's interesting in this text that John goes back to his first thing that he said in 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 3. The emphasis was on what he had seen, what he had heard, and what he had looked upon, and what he had handled. He wanted to make sure that these Christian people had understood that he saw Jesus suffer. He saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus raised. He put his hands on his body so he would know that this is the real Jesus. What I'm telling you is real this morning. Because why? I've handled him. I've seen that Jesus was put in that tomb. And three days I saw him walk out. See, there are many different views of people who understand this text of water and the blood. What, what does it mean? Well, John means the water of Jesus' baptism. When Jesus was baptized, he was not baptized in repentance for his own sin because he had none, but because he wanted to completely identify with sinful humanity. It was, it was God's way of putting his hand on Jesus' life and blessing him, and Jesus was in that, in that water with John, and he was saying to, to all those people that were watching him, I am one of you. When Jesus died on the cross, the blood represents his crucifixion. He did not die because he had to. Death had no power over him. But he tells us very plainly, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. He laid his life down to identify once again with sinful humanity and to save us from our sin. When he came by blood, it was so that he could stand in our place as a guilty sinner and take the punishment that our sins deserved. 1 John 5, verses 11 through 12. This life that we talk about is in his son. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whosoever has the son has life. And whosoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. My granddaughter, Harper Grace, is nine years old. And a couple years ago, she was in our home one evening, and somehow we got to talking about God and Jesus, and we ended up sharing the plan of salvation, the gospel with her. And she prayed to receive Christ that night, so unexpected but so beautiful. 
Well, Harper Grace begins immediately becoming an evangelist and telling others about Christ. So she started with her little brother, Tanner, who was age five at this time. And I remember we were, we've been doing this for two years with Tanner trying to tell him about Jesus and God. And uh, I'll never forget that first night that we started talking about it. And uh, I said, Tanner, you know, you're five now and, and, and you're, not, you're just not ready. You haven't learned enough about, about Jesus yet. And I, I'll never forget him as a five-year-old sticking his chest out and going, but Papa, I'm five. <laughs> like, like he had arrived. Uh, you're, you're not ready yet. So we've been sharing the gospel with Tanner. And it was probably a year, a year later, and uh, Diane's getting them ready for bed. And I never forget this; it's so cool. She's apparently Harper's not having much success with her evangelism with Tanner. So she, she out of frustration, she looks at me and she says, "Papa," said I tried to tell Tanner how to pray and invite Jesus into his life, but he didn't do it right. And I said, out of the mouth of babes, how many people think they have Jesus, but they ain't done it right? They've not repented of their sins. They've not turned from their ways. They've not asked God to step out of heaven and step into their life. They haven't gotten desperate enough to know Jesus. They haven't done it right. Can I ask you a question this morning? Have you done it right? Do you know that you know Jesus as your Savior? Because if you do, eternal life is guaranteed. And Father, today we pray that every person that's listening to this message, not only here, but through our online streaming today, I pray for every person that's listening, that God, you will reveal yourself to them, that you will show them your unconditional love, that you don't put any condition on us. It's free. It's a gift. And we pray today that every person will stop and ask themselves the question, did I do it right? And Father, as we sense your conviction, as we sense your voice, that we would hear, that we would listen, and that we would come clean. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.